It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here at Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you are tuning in. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 today. Uh, we were spending a great deal of time, many weeks, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, talking about marriage singleness, even that discussion about divorce and remarriage, a lot that's covered in those two chapters. And I would encourage you to go back and finish up 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've got a lot of notes we weren't able to get through in this program, uh, but I know that there's great value uh, perhaps in some aspect where you're in life right now, your particular journey, there's content covered right there in those two chapters that I believe is very relevant for all of us, whether you're married or single, considering marriage. Uh, maybe just having exited out of a very difficult relationship. There's a lot of healing in those chapters, a lot of content that I believe could speak to you right where you're at right now. And so I want to encourage you to go back and and just read through that, just without the breaks uh, that we've had to do in this limited time that we have together each week. Uh, And if you're looking for sermon notes, other content you can use is perhaps you're about to lead a small group, or maybe you just want to go dig deeper into those those sections and that content, uh, please feel free to reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com. Uh, this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. So again, I just want to welcome you to the program. If this is your first time tuning in, uh, we have been on the air now for six years. Hard to believe. And so we've got a lot of content there at calvaryfountain.com. You can go back and re-listen to broadcast. So if you want to catch up in the study of 1 Corinthians, you can certainly do that. So here we are in chapter 8, trying to get through this uh, verse by verse if we, as we can. And I know we're probably going to cover just a few verses. But uh, here, this particular section, I have titled it, Knowledge Just just add love. Uh, because what happens is, is we spend a lot of time trying to understand the mind of God, and we know that we will never fully understand the mind of God. I, I don't know how much we'll even know we're in His presence. Uh, he will always be God, and we will always be the recipients of grace and mercy and redemption and being in His presence in a new vessel, and uh, so much that is given to us there, even being called a royal priesthood that we do not deserve, only by the grace of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on that cross. So as we try to understand the mind of God, as he has revealed what we need to know to walk in his ways, sometimes what we can find happening is we take in more understanding, we learn more, and then compound that with more knowledge and more knowledge, and then suddenly we find ourselves getting a little callous towards the world, where we lack that agape love as we are called to minister to those who who desperately need the hope in Jesus Christ. So the more knowledge we add, the less love we seem to apply. And, and therefore, we need that perfect balance of knowledge with agape love. So that I believe this study is really going to be uh, important for all of us today, even for myself. I've taught on this a number of times, and every time I go back and reread it, I, I'm convicted once more. Uh, let me start off with this. Um, you know, the state of Colorado allows motorists to make a right turn when the traffic signal is red, if the way is clear, so you have to make sure that you're clear to proceed. After you come to a stop, you can still then proceed. You don't have to wait till it turns green. This gives drivers liberty and keeps traffic moving. Okay. Now at some intersections, however, the signs will be placed there to say no turn on red. 
these corners are exceptions because they are potentially dangerous. There, there's a blind spot, perhaps, something that we need to pay mindful attention to. So by turning on red at one of these intersections, a motorist could cause a serious accident. So in a similar way, in the Christian life, we've been given this great freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, yet, yet there are certain potential dangerous spots that can cause a serious accident between brothers and sisters in Christ that we must be aware of. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we have a dangerous intersection before us concerning some of the interactions with individuals who don't fully understand their position in Christ. So Paul uses this metaphor of milk and solid food, i.e. meat, that he'll use earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, and again in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. But here, it is a literal meat that is causing division in the church, and this section is only the beginning of this discussion. Paul is going to get into it more in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 to 33. So Paul had a perfect freedom to eat meat, even if it had been previously offered to idols. He knew that there was only one true God and that idols were nothing. And, and then eating meat then offered to them was neither right nor wrong, but not all the believers felt that way. In fact, a, a person who had a weak conscience believed that the meat was defiled by that idol and therefore it was off limits. So Paul recognized that the need to take special care, lest by eating that meat, he, he would influence such a person to then eat of it themselves and violate their conscience and even causing a stumbling block that would impede Paul's ability to speak into that person's life. They, they'd be so caught up by this action that they witness of Paul doing that they might not even hear the words that they need to hear to help them grow in their understanding of Jesus Christ. So the concern for these believers kept Paul from exercising his liberty because Paul's more focused on his mission rather than exercising his freedoms. So I, I've titled the message again, Knowledge, Just Add Love, because what we'll see here is, is there are those in the church who are filled with knowledge, but can lack the ingredient of love to apply the knowledge they have. So Paul will remind us of this here in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 2, as we'll get to that section later. But let me just highlight it here for you. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Uh, you know, I, I used to drink my coffee black. I know it's kind of an interesting segue, but but bear with me here. I, I used to drink my coffee black. I, I remember the days when, when I'd have to get up really early. I'm talking about like 2, 3 in the morning uh, when I had a construction job in college. And it was strong, but bitter. Knowledge without love can create a similar effect in us. And, and when I discovered this Nestle Coffee Mate French Vanilla Creamer, it, it changed my coffee experience forever. Now, it, it's a lot like what happened to me when I tried Chick-fil-A sauce on my chicken sandwich for the first time. What was good became awesome. Okay, so now my coffee has the right blend and my chicken sandwich is made complete. You know what I'm saying here? So as Christians, we're free in Christ free to engage in social practices and customs not specifically forbidden by biblical commands, yet the Holy Spirit 
may prompt us to refrain from some legitimate practices. So, so then the principle of love must take precedence over the principle of liberty. So you can see where this is going here. We have to have discernment in each situation that comes by way of the Holy Spirit. A mature Christian will heed the no turn on red sign to keep from causing a less mature believer to have a serious accident. This is important to understand. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 13, then, Paul's going to explain that we're not only responsible for ourselves, but for others, for one another. So to put a spin on the words of Cain when he said, am I my brother's keeper? Paul will insist you are your brother's keeper. You do have a responsibility to look out for your brother's welfare. Those in your church, those in your sphere of influence who are also believers, your your children even. We have to look out for their well-being, that our actions then cannot create a stumbling block to their development. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Ambassadors cannot take their own interest as the superseding MO of how they operate, but rather it is about their mission. You do have a responsibility then to look out for your brother's welfare. And so this has been the theme of this letter, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that we covered earlier. So number one, I believe we need to recognize that love is more important than freedom. Our personal freedoms are not the agenda here. We have to bathe everything in agape love to seek others' interest more than ourselves to the glory of God. So so whether Christians should eat meat, which has been offered to idols, was a pressing question even then during this, this particular era at the Church of Corinth. We don't really think about that today, but I'll give you some examples of how we do actually interact in a very similar way today here later on. So it had become a matter of pride on both sides of this question. So in 8 verses 1 to 3, 1 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 3, Paul rebukes the Christians' pride, these these Church of Corinth, their pride, and insists that love must balance knowledge. Here's what he says in verse 1a. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Okay, he's, he's identifying there. He says, now concerning, this clues us into the fact that Paul is once again responding to issues that are raised by these Corinthian Christians in a previous letter. In the first century, thrifty church members saved money by purchasing marked-down meat in the market. Okay, so some church people later discovered that the meat was marked down because it had been used in the ritual of worship of pagan deities in the city. So now what? The reaction was split. Some Christians and refused to buy it, and others had no problem with the bargain meat. Okay, so the meat used then in this ritual worship was apparently divided three ways. One part would be burned on the altar, another part was given to the pagan priest, and a third part was given to the one who brought it as an offering that they were giving to this false god, and then, you know, they were allowed to do with it as they chose to do. So the leftovers not used by the priest were then marked down and sold at a substantial discount in the local market where it could be purchased by other people, okay? So so one had, the, the one who had brought the offering might also have served a portion to Christian friends at a dinner party. So the urgent question here that should the Christians of this church, should they buy the marked down meat? That was what they were dealing with, of saying, well, it's just leftover meat 
even though the rest of the meat had been used in this false practice and in defiling God, then is the meat somehow subject to this? Has it been defiled? Should we stay away from it? And we see that earlier in Scripture. We'll talk about that too, of how that was even strongly forbidden. So should they then serve this to the guests? Some of the believers of the city of Corinth disagreed. And here he says, we know that we all have knowledge. So Paul reiterated in 1 Corinthians 1, 5, is something that Paul was grateful for, that they have the knowledge of the truth, but have failed to apply it properly in each situation. So knowledge, the key word here in this chapter, is used five of ten occurrences of the word and the of this word then will appear here. So I mean this whole chapter that will cover this word knowledge often, and five of the currents of that happen right here. Uh, we'll see this in First Corinthians chapter eight one. Twice will be mentioned, verse 7 and 10 and 11, uh, and many other places throughout First Corinthians. So knowledge is a key factor here. So some in Corinth were justifying their position by claiming by their knowledge that idols were only things of human manufacturing and did not represent anything that was true. So Paul grants the fact that believers can champion this knowledge, but such knowledge can easily lead to pride and arrogance. So Paul puts it like this, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies in 1 Corinthians 8, 1b. So he's highlighting that they have knowledge, but now he's given the warning. Knowledge can puff you up, but love then edifies. This is one of the most powerful one-liners about the Christian community found anywhere in Paul's letters. So the Greek word makes arrogant. It literally means to puff up or to blow up, and it always has a negative connotation. In fact, this is a verb that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 6, chapter 5, chapter 13, and even Colossians chapter 2. So those Corinthians that are boasting of their freedom to eat meat sacrificed to idols are acting arrogantly without demonstrating love or respect for their brothers and sisters. They've lost sight of the greater mission and, and thereby they don't seem to be exemplifying at all grace and understanding. This seems to be elusive to them, and they're doing more damage than good. Just simply exercising their freedom, they're actually hurting their weaker brothers in so doing. And this is one of the reasons for Christ's reprimand of the Pharisees, calling them a brood of vipers. In fact, Christ dedicates almost an entire chapter of Matthew chapter 23 to calling out these hypocrites for their behavior. So the Pharisees used their knowledge as a position of pride, and Jesus called them out for it, that they sought only to elevate themselves rather than being grace-filled servants of God. So knowledge, apart from love, makes one prideful. And so Paul will drive this point further throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 13, hence we must always be cautious. You know, a, a famous preacher used to say, some Christians grow, others just swell. <laughs> are, are you puffed up in your knowledge? Do you look down on others who don't know as much as you do? Well, well Paul tells you to recognize that love edifies. The word edifies means to build up. Uh, originally, the word was used of the formation of buildings. However, Paul uses the word figuratively here throughout his letters to describe the development of Christian character. The Christian life isn't how much you know or how strong you are or how much Christian liberty you possess, but how much you love with the knowledge you have. 
You know, one of the dangers of being a, 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 in some kind of a Bible fellowship, and I hope that you are, but often one of the dangers that we face is that we may be strong then in knowledge, but weak in love, weak in application of what we're learning to, to edify others, to build up others. Francis Schaeffer once said, if we do not show love to one another, the world has a right to question whether Christianity is true. You know, after all, a sign of those who follow Christ is their love for one another. We go to John 13, 34 to 35. We read, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So therefore, we must strive to remain humble at all times and to manifest love to all who we come in contact with. So Paul continues in this challenging thought here, these convicting words. Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. So here he's, he's signifying that these Corinthian Christians, and some of them perceived themselves as having achieved a present state of having come to know or having achieved much knowledge. And, and Paul's then giving this rebuke that he or she has not yet come to know anything. The moment you think you've arrived, you're just beginning, right? I mean, it's like, a, you know, as soon as I almost find it a little interesting, that a little humorous that uh, Moses is, is the author of the Torah uh, you know, was declared to be the most humble man on the face of the earth. <laughs> there's a there's a little irony in that, right? As you declare, I'm the most humble person on the face of the earth, and actually, it doesn't sound like you're being humble at all. But uh, interesting, I, I think it's we needed to know that that he was humbled before Almighty God. And, and indeed, it seems like if we put on the badge that says we have knowledge of God's word, that it feels like we've just gone backwards, right? So if a person thinks that he's attained some degree of knowledge, he is not yet reach the stage when he has any knowledge at all in the real sense of the word. So Paul is simply saying that if we think we have all this knowledge, that we're all knowing now, that we can be confident that we are not, especially if we're behaving contrary to the accumulated knowledge derived from Scripture. In fact, James addresses this in James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. He says, "'Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct all that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, James 3, 13 to 18. That puts it all in proper perspective. So is knowledge the problem? Certainly not. We're instructed to seek out and acquire more knowledge. This is a theme throughout Scripture, uh, uh, even commanded in Deuteronomy 17 to those who were kings that they had to be in the Word of God every single day. And you and I are called a royal priesthood. That means we are to be in God's Word every day. That's not a request. That was a command of the royalty whom God had appointed. In Hosea 4, 6-7, Proverbs 1, amongst many places, including Psalm 119, there are more than a hundred verses on knowledge 
knowledge in the scripture. So, so this is an issue of not of having knowledge, but of application of knowledge. So the, the amount of, of corrective instruction concerning knowledge in this epistle makes it clear that these Corinthian Christians value knowledge perhaps too highly. That was very common in the Greek culture. Uh, True knowledge consists not in the accumulation of such data, but in the fact that one has learned to apply that knowledge and to live in love toward all brethren. So Paul will address this further with Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 7, that in the end times, people will always be learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. So again, they're accumulating information, but not applying it. In 1692, Harvard College adopted as its motto, truth for Christ and the church. Its crest showed three books, one face down to symbolize the limitation of human knowledge. But in recent decades, that book has turned face up to represent the unlimited capacity of the human mind. And now they've just simply changed the motto to veritas, truth. So the pursuit of knowledge is praiseworthy, yet learning can quickly lead to pride and a refusal to acknowledge any limits on our mental abilities. So when that happens... Biblical truth is ignored or rejected. Now, now recently, a new religion has emerged called synthism, and it's, it's a new religion movement focused on how atheists and pantheists can achieve omnipresence. When a Swedish cyber philosopher, Alexander Bard, published his synthist manifesto, he called it synthism, creating God in the internet age. And the belief is that with the combined knowledge of men, there is nothing man cannot achieve, and thus together we can create God. Oh man, that just sends shivers down my spine even saying that. But this sounds like a cyber version of the Tower of Babel to me from Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 to 8. Our knowledge as finite human beings is never final. We can always know more and achieve deeper insights. Socrates once said, knowledge is proud that it knows so much. Wisdom is humble that it knows no more. Okay, so we need to put it all in proper perspective. The truly wise person clearly grasps how very limited his knowledge and understanding is, even in respect to the gray areas. The old adage is true, the more you see, the less you know. So Paul adds a very unusual comment here to the tag of this in verse 3 of of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, but if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. And now again, the grammar makes it clear that there are those in Corinth who love God. Paul reiterates the balance of love needed with regard to knowledge and accumulating all the facts about God that one can will not result in a more realistic knowledge of him. One must also love God. Here's what we're told in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first And greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if a person loves God, 
then God knows him in an intimate way and reveals himself to him. And we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. And, and of course, go back and study 1 John. If you go and study the book of 1 John, you'll see that abiding with the Lord creates closeness, proximity to God, coming under his wing of protection even. So consequently, it's, it's really important that God knows us, that, that we are fully known by him because we want to know him and love him. So we want to know the full mind of God. We're pursuing him to know him deeper and to love who he is, to love his ways, not just seeking knowledge for the sake of knowledge. So obedience opens doors to knowledge and understanding. And when he knows us intimately, he will enable us to know him intimately. Okay, so when he knows us intimately, he enables us to know him intimately. You see how that works? The more we draw to want to know God, the more he enables us to know him. And that makes sense. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, Proverbs 8, 17, and Jeremiah 29, 13 help us understand that a little bit deeper. So logically, not only will God enable those who love him to know him better, but he will also enable those who love him to understand other subjects as well. Paul, Paul said this to establish the priority of love over knowledge in determining our behavior in various situations. So you got to understand here that Paul is not suggesting that it's better to be ignorant of truth and have love. That's not accurate. Paul is helping us understand here that we must stand on a firm foundation of truth that is rooted in love. We love because he first loved us from 1 John 19 to 21. Okay, so there's a lot to learn here. We're just getting started. We haven't even gotten into verse 4 yet. That's just, just the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So we have so much more to cover. You can see why it takes a number of weeks just to get through a chapter. But I hope uh, already you've been convicted a little bit. A lot of times we can operate like this. We, we can take a lot of knowledge and lack love. And that is demonstrated in how we treat the least of these even. How do we treat our spouse? How do we treat our coworkers, uh, those around us? Are we modeling Christ at all times? The more we know of the Lord, we should be utterly transformed as we're putting on the mind of Christ. And you'll know the difference. You're not just accumulating knowledge here. You're ac accumulating transformational ingredients that adjust how you think, how you speak, how you walk, how you serve, that it be all in glory to God, that you're simply an instrument in the hand of the Almighty, right? So I hope you're encouraged today. Be encouraged, my friends. If you need a, a fellowship, if perhaps you're looking right now for a church, you want to go deeper in God's Word together, then come check us out at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. Uh, we, we are a Calvary Chapel modeled church on the south end of Colorado Springs, and uh, you can learn more at calvaryfountain.com. Services are at 8 a.m. and at 10 a.m. We would love to see you there. God bless you.